and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Raising Hell in Jersey. This is your host, Jake Wakely, and my co-host, Mr. Jersey Joe. How are you doing tonight? Hello. Oh, I'm doing great. Hello, everyone, uh, to all you listening uh, near and abroad. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, uh, before we uh, get our uh, guest here on, um, Joe and I are kind of, for anybody, you know, wondering, we're we're in the midst of, um, you know, kind of negotiating some things, hoping to boost our podcast and stuff, and we're going to... Uh, we're going to be making a post here on Facebook and Twitter and we're going to create an Instagram page, I think, and, you know, Periscope and Twitch and all that stuff to kind of, kind of get things rolling and whatnot and kind of get some more viewers in, you know, from, you know, maybe not can more so in Europe and stuff, kind of expand our viewership and listeners. Um, and I think, uh, I think, you know, I think something him and I have been talking about considering is maybe recording an episode um, on Zoom and kind of showing everybody so everybody can see our faces and whatnot. And we can have people that way join in with us on Zoom and whatnot and talk to us that way. They can jump in whenever they want, et cetera. Just kind of just so we can get all you guys involved in the podcast as well. So you don't have to, you know, sit at home and listen that way. You can actually come on and talk to us, ask us questions about the Devils, players, coaches, management, scouting, you name it. So that's just kind of something we're kind of in the midst of trying to figure out so we can work out everyone's schedule. I know Joe, Joe's busy with his job, you know, throughout the day. I'm busy with mine, and I'm busy at home being a father too. So so it's it's, it's easier for us to get, you know, the, the late night um, podcasts in so much so, more so now, but just that that's for anybody listening that's something that him and i have kind of been discussing behind the scenes and talking to a couple people trying to figure out how we can do that because we'd like to get our podcast up to you know par with you know like the let's go devils podcast or the speak of the devils podcast that the new jersey devils do and stuff like that so yeah we're at this moment in time you know for our listeners we On the Raising Hell in Jersey podcast, we've reached the United States. Obviously, that's where I'm from. That's where most of the Devils fans are. Uh, We have Jake's homeland of Canada. We've hit Poland already, Norway, Sweden, and the Netherlands. So, for anyone wondering, Poland makes up 2% of the exterior of Europe, as well as 2% of Norway, 1% Sweden, and less than 1% in the Netherlands. So, with that being said, we're still a young, growing podcast, and we're trying to experiment with other ideas. Yeah, I think, I think, and I think that's good for us, right? Like we can get our our podcast out, you know, hopefully down the road, um, make some money and whatnot doing that. But um, you know, we're just waiting on our uh, on our guest here, Mike. Uh, if I pronounce Lucci. Lucci, yeah, okay, that's how I thought you pro- we pronounced his name. It's Italian. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured that. <laughs> yeah, so I think we should uh, kind of give our listeners a rundown a little bit on Mike Lucci. Yeah, I'll let you. Um, I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you have the floor on that one, buddy, because you know you worked for uh, Pucks and Pitchforks for a bit. I've just 
I've always been a fan of their articles. Any Devils article, I usually always read it. Um, but yeah, I'll give you. A, I'll let you take a rundown on that. And uh, before he before he joins us, I've been kind. Of, I've been sending him out the invite, so hopefully, hopefully <laughs> he sees it. But if he doesn't, then you know you and I can continue with the podcast. But hopefully, Mike here joins on here soon. Well, um, I already spoke to him about that behind the scenes on uh, DM. So, anyways, uh, the draft lottery of Phase Two, which is pretty tragic in my experience with it. Uh, but Mike is a contributor as Nick Villano puts it for Pucks and Pitchforks. Uh, he wrote an awesome article. He being Mike, he wrote this New Jersey double. Stop worrying about New York Rangers. Um, I came across this article five days ago and I was like, our fan base cares too much about the enemy, but there should be just that little smidgen where the art of war talks about uh, get to know your enemy and get to know yourself thoroughly. So this is kind of what I want to go over a little bit with Mike and see what his thoughts are and what developed each and every bit of that article. Yeah, I, uh, well, I'm hoping he jumps on here soon. He hasn't. Uh, he hasn't really given an answer since I said, you know, I was gonna, you know, plug my phone in for a bit before we got started because I'm sitting on about, you know, forty three percent. So I should be. I should be good for about an hour. Yeah, hold on a sec. Hour, so. Let Let me try and find him on uh, on my main Twitter uh, if I can get his attention. Now, Joe, I know you, uh, while you're doing that, I know we've, you know, you know, you and I, um, we'll probably do the, this for our next episode. I think, you know, for our viewers listening, you know, around the, across the world, around the world, um, we're going to, uh, start doing draft profiles on, um, players that we think the Devils will select with the seventh pick. And then as we get closer, we'll kind of dive into the the later guys at like seven at eighteen and twenty ish area. But him and I, Joe and I, um, you know, we have a we have a couple sources. We're not gonna obviously we're not gonna mention any names, but um, we were given some information, uh, you know, that the Devils or management is. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Excuse me. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> Your excuse. Um, that they are targeting Jake Sanderson with the seventh overall pick. Uh, like the upper management's leaning that way, and I mean, I get it. I won't blame them if that's the way they go, because I mean, this organization is starved for defense. Like I think they're, you know, they defensemen that are, you know, good and are consistent on a nightly basis offensively that's young is probably Severson. We hope Butcher can jump back in and bounce back like he had his rookie year, but you know he's been battled with injuries and Severson's defensive game hasn't been the greatest, but yeah, so, you know. And we got Mike. We got we got a special guest on here. Um, uh, Joining us from Pucks and Pitchforks. 
uh, Mike Lucci. Uh, Mike, how you doing tonight? What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me on. Uh, anytime, buddy. Anytime. We're, we're, Joel, we're going I'll strong. Let you, I'll let you start. I'll let you sort of ask Mike uh, a couple questions, and then I got a couple questions. But I'll give you the floor to start. So take it away. All right. So, Mike, uh, we all know that um, you wrote this really awesome article about why fans of the New Jersey Devils needs to stop worrying about the New York Rangers. First off, how did you come about that? Well, a little, well, a little secret that a lot of people don't know. Um, I am a resident of New York state and um, my father and brother are actually uh, diehard Ranger fans. So um, when they won, when news came out that they uh, won the draft lottery, I was pretty much on the front lines of the um, celebration reaction and everything like that. So I was watching them, and um, really, really, I, it was just a matter of just me going online, just seeing people having these absolute epic meltdowns. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you know, why are these, you know, why are these people freaking out? You know, like you look at the, you know, you look at the big picture. Things are actually looking, you know, I mean, look, things aren't great right now with the Devils, but the direction that they're heading now, heading now is pretty pretty promising you know um they won the draft lottery two of the last three years between 2017 2019 they got three first round picks this year and people are acting like people are acting as if like you know armageddon's on the horizon just because their crosstown rival won the first overall pick the first one i might add that they've won i think like over 50 or 60 something odd years i think i read and just from that it just kind of shed light just it just kind of shed light about you know just you know all the other times i just remember um friends i know who like the devils in person or just again um just the online community constantly uh referring constantly comparing the devils to the rangers constantly referring um you know referring to the rangers any conceivable situation they could get so kind of just like a combination combination of all those it just made just made me think you know um has anyone really written about this yet i might as well give it a shot and oh. the second, Joe, sorry, uh, sorry, buddy. I just, I just wanted to ask, um, I just quickly wanted to ask, um, Mike a question. So before I ask you what I want to ask you, Mike, whereabouts in like New York, up in like New York State, are you? Like, are you towards like, are you towards like Rochester area, or are you more towards like New Jersey and New York City? Oh yeah, Rochester, Rochester, that's Saber, that's Saber's country out there. Yeah. Um, no, I'm in um West. I'm in uh, Westchester County. It's like it's a county like right above, right above uh, the Bronx. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I'm assuming I'm assuming being near the Bronx that you're a Yankees fan. Uh, you know, baseball is actually the one sport I just I just can't can't get into. It's just a little it's just a little too slow to me. But um, you know, I'm I'm mostly just I'm mostly just Devils and uh, Buffalo Bills. Those are really those are hey, really. Hey, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> There we go. Yeah. There we go. I was hoping when he said upstate New York, and I was gonna like he's got if he's a if he's not a Bills fan, then he's got to be like a Jets fan or something. But yeah, that's what I like <laughs> to see. And you know, before we get going, Mike, Bills are gonna have a big year this year. I just want to quickly point that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope so. I definitely think they got a good shot. You know, especially the moves they made in the off season. I think they definitely got a good shot at uh, taking the division. You know, now that Brady's out of the way, um, this is actually the one season I'm. I've been particularly optimistic about, so I hope you're right. 
Yeah. Sorry for all our listeners to get off topic. We, you know, it's rare for me, the odd time having people on to get a Buffalo Bills fan. So I get a little bit excited. <laughs> it's been a long, it's been a long wait for us Bills fans to see success. So. Plus it's Bills and Devils fan at the same time. So it's even juicier that it oh, matches yeah. your criteria. <laughs> anyway, um, um, Mike, um, Sort of like what was your thinking, sort of behind you know writing that article though? Like, is there was there certain like things you looked at? Like, you know, did you look at both like the Rangers system, what they have coming up, and then the Devils, or was it like sort of you know what they have at each position, like from goaltending to whatever? Or is there certain players that kind of caught your eye? Like, is like is it fair for me to say? And I guess as much as I hate to say it. Is it fair to say right now, like that the Rangers in five to ten years are going to be better, like than the Devils? Because like right now, that's what it certainly looks like. But we have something, in my opinion, that they don't have. Like they can have, I think it's Vatili Kravtsev or Kravtsov, and they have yeah, something Kapo, like that. They have Kako, Kapo Kako, you know, they have they have Buznevich, who I'm I'm not a big fan of Buznevich. I don't think he's that great. I think he's a product of who he plays with. <laughs> um you know, they they're gonna have Alexis Lafreniere, but and I think he, you know, he's probably the best prospect to come out of the draft since Austin Matthews in twenty sixteen. Maybe Jack Hughes. I think you could say Jack Hughes as well, but you know, we still gotta see with Jack Hughes and you know it looks like from what I've seen on social media that he's been working his ass off and he looks like he's put on a lot of muscle. So that's a sign, a good sign for, you know, New Jersey moving forward. But the Rangers lack center depth and yep. star center besides the Banajad. So like, and we have two young studs, like that's one's going to be, I think 19 or 20. And then Heischer's going to be, I think 21 or 22. So like they still haven't even hit their prime yet. And I think, you know, for for our guys to have success, we got to find wingers to build around them for, in order for them to have success. Because you can't – I've said – Joe and I have said this a million times. You can't have Miles Wood playing on the top six. It, it just doesn't work. It's a recipe for disaster. But I'll let you, you know, kind of follow up on that. Like, what sort of went into your thinking when you were writing this? Yeah, so um, the evident – the, um, you know – harsh truth evident reality right now is uh yeah in terms of their rebuild and you know the prospects they have in their cupboard yeah the rangers are in a much better are in a much better position than us right now um you know i expect you know especially like especially when looking the the uh, forward position at the guys they have you know like you know you, you mentioned all, all the guys you have you know they got um artemi panarin pretty much anchoring the uh you know anchoring that Forward, forward group they have right now and um yeah these guys are these guys aren't going anywhere anytime soon like this is going to be the rangers core probably for the next five five to ten years at least but um you kind of hit it spot on though when uh you know you a distinguished position um the rangers pro you know the rangers uh top prospects that they currently have right now most of them are uh wings and you know you, you made a good point when you mentioned that um the rangers really lack any genuine death down the middle besides uh Zibanejad, you know um the ones i've talked you know like uh, i know a lot of ranger fans i talk to um they pre- you know they're pretty much saying there aren't really any genuine options out there in free agency uh you know you don't know what's gonna happen with the trade market right now a lot of them is banking on a shuttle to kind of continue coming into his own and taking up that spot so 
in some regards, that's one that's one department where the Devils are very fortunate. Um, you know, you look at, you know, this is something I mentioned in the uh, piece I wrote. Um, you look at the top, you look at the top teams in the league right now. You know, you look at the um, routine playoff contenders, and every single one of those teams has at least one, at least one genuine top tier center that they're that they've built their offense around. New Jersey right now, um, even though even you know these guys are still in the developmental stages, have two. So, and you know, I think that kind of circles back to I think that circles back to one of the aspects that really has uh, you know Devils fans freaking out about the Rangers winning the draft lottery are the um, quality of the prospects. Uh, like you said, Lafreniere is probably probably going to be the best guy to come out of the draft since um, well, you know, since Austin Matthews, I don't know if he, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a very big, pro, I'm not a very big prospect guy, like some of my other uh, other writing colleagues are. So I really can't, I I really can't say if um you know he's project he's projected to be you know to reach the same level as like the McDavid's, the Matthews, or anything like that. But when Devils fans hear that, and uh, they know, you know, when we drafted Nico Heischer, everyone knew he wasn't, everyone knew he wasn't expected to reach that, you know, generational talent level as like the McDavid's, the Matthews, the Canes, the Crosby's, um, you know, at, at his, at, at his best at, you know, the very prime of his career, he's probably doing something like, uh, you know, Patrice, Patrice Bergeron type mold, which I'm more than, I'm more than down with having on the team. And then, you know, you look at Jack Hughes, his, you know, his first year was nothing short of an absolute disaster just between, um, the point, you know, between the, the points he had, points he had, his production and everything like that, even though, you know, his quality of linemen is factored into that. But um, also, you know, you know, it was kind of becoming abundantly clear that he really wasn't ready for, you know, he re- really maybe wasn't physically or as mentally prepared for the NHL as everyone wanted to think. And mind you, if anyone had brought that up a year ago at this time, going into the season on Jack Hughes' potential readiness from those aspects... It, they probably would have been viciously and rabidly attacked by the fan base. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think you know a lot of fans, like you know me, including myself, and I know, I know Joe can attest to this. You know, after but um, and follow up on it. But him and I had high expectations for Jack Hughes. I think I remember when we won the lottery and we were you know allowed to select Jack. That him and I were hyped up because the way everybody had talked about his skating, and I I don't disagree, that his skating reminded a lot of scouts like McDavid. And, and, and that was just like, and you know, fans hear that, and then they're thinking, okay, well, we got the next Connor McDavid. No, nobody is the next Connor McDavid. That, that kind of talent comes around very rarely. Like, if ever, it comes around once in a blue moon. So, my opinion when it comes to Jack Hughes, get him some talent around him. But if he will be a 70 to 100 point in that between 70 and 100 points, I think is a fair, like in between that range. Once he comes into his own here, either next season or the following season. And, you know, Craig Button even said it when he, the, the Devils drafted him, you know. The way he sees the ice and his playmaking ability and his scoring ability, he does it all. He's elite in everything that he does. But it's going to take him two to three years. It's going to take him some time. Yeah, exa- exactly. 
and um, yeah, and you know, like I just, I just think between, I just think between the discour, you know, the discouraging first year, you know, first year he had it definitely, it definitely, I don't want to say put a lot of Devils fans off, but definitely discourage, discourage them, you know, for the um outlook moving forward. You know, like Hughes is, Hughes is going to be fine. You know, like um, you know, everything you said about Craig Button, you know, pretty much hit, hit the nail on the head. It's, it'll definitely take a definitely take him a couple of years. Um. I think I think the other thing too that really like concerned a lot of a lot of Devils fans, um, Hughes' struggles. Well, I, I don't want to call it struggles, but you know the unex, uninspiring rookie year he had definitely shed a lot of light on the team's um, player development, ability to develop, you know, ability to develop quality prospects and quality players through the system. You know, um, just for you know, just for example, since since Ray Shero took the helm. Um, how many, you know, aside from Nico and Nico and Jack Hughes, how many legitimate homegrown players have come up from the system and stuck so, so with the team and become impactful players? Only person that's coming off my head right now is uh, Jesper Bratt. Yeah. You know, someone that was actually drafted by the organization, went through the system. And, um, you know, right now, when you look at the swath of young players, of young players they have, you know, on the wings, they have guys like Nick Merkley, Joey Anderson, uh, Fabian Zetterland, Jesper Bobquist. Um, you know, they have this, you know, they have this slow promising young defenseman like uh, Kevin Ball, Kevin Ball, Ty, Ty Smith. Um, what's his name? The guy in the Ivy Leagues, uh, Riley Walsh. You know, like these are quality, yeah, you know, these are like legitimate quality. Um, these are legitimate quality prospects. Prospects, yeah. There you go. Got tongue tied for a second. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, you know, like, you know, I think people, Look at what the Devils have now. What they risk at, what they risk at messing up or seeing or seeing go to waste. Look at what happened to Hughes. They look at how swimmingly things are going on the Rangers' end with how their young press, you know, their young players have been coming along. Um, you know, those are you know, I, I think those two are, are definitely like contributing reasons why people had you know this just absolute utter meltdown when they when they came out that the Rangers won the uh, draft lottery. Um, that's why I kind of think, you know, I mean, look, we know Cheryl for the most part, he was a solid GM. He made, he made some pretty good, he made some pretty good trades for some players that are, you know, paramount pieces of our, you know, of the roster right now, but between him and that coaching staff, yeah, like, you know, one of their, one of their weak points was struggling to develop young players, make them a foundational part of the roster. That's kind of why, you know, like I really wasn't thrilled about it at first, but now I kind of understand i guess is the best word to use why someone like lindy ruff was brought in you know the guy has a tremendous track record of developing young talent um you know since devils are essentially hitting the reset button right now on their rebuild um yeah he actually seems like a pretty uh, you know pretty ideal candidate to uh come in and just you know try to shepherd these guys to um develop you know developing moving forward hey um you know Joe, I want you to touch up on this sort of after, you know, after I, you know, ask him or say what I'm going to say. But, um, you know, I, I haven't listened to – I know the Devils do their whole, you know, Speak of the Devils podcast with Matt Laughlin and uh, – or Laughlin, whatever you pronounce his last name. And um, Amanda Stein, I know Chris Westcott, he sort of fills in for Maddie when he's out golfing or doing whatever he's doing in his uh, times when he can't do the podcast. But – you know, they had Craig Button on, and, um, you know, Craig was um, asked, you know, who could be available at seven for the Devils. 
and he um, he mentioned three players. Cole Perfetti, who reminds him of Artemi Panarin. Lucas Raymond, who reminds him of Mitch Marner. And Alexander Holtz, who reminds him of Philip Forsberg. Now, for the Devils, I don't think if any of those comparisons, you're obviously you're hoping for the Panarin or the Marner type players because I think obviously they're way better than Philip Forsberg. But Philip Forsberg is meant to score goals, and you know those other two guys they do it all. But I don't think you can go wrong with any of them. But um, you know, I had Craig said it actually best because I started I listened to you know maybe 10 minutes of it you know today while I was at work on my lunch but then I had to stop because you know I had to leave for an emergency uh, sort of ordeal here at home but the Devils aren't starting over their rebuild just because they traded Taylor Hall they're in the midst of their rebuild like they're in the middle of it they're in the process of it so I mean they're not they're not starting over fresh they're just you know they've hit they've hit a couple bumps in the road like did we think, you know, we thought when Taylor Hall was traded here, you know, maybe not the first year, but the second year he started to come into his own. He won a, he won a Hart Trophy, but we all thought he would re-sign. But even when he was traded here, I think you could kind of read the tea leaves. I don't think he wanted – I don't honestly think he wanted to be here from the get-go. No. But – I think I think what I'm trying to say is like you know the Devils they got to be smart with their decisions you know they got needs they got like they got Nolan Foot coming up through the minor through the system and stuff who's going to be a hell of a hell of a goal scorer for the Devils on the left side whether it's next to Hughes or Heischer and they got to get some right wing depth because let's face it after Paul Mary and you know even on yeah. the, even that left wing you know it's looking pretty slim and I've always said. And Jesper Bratt had a hell of a second half of the season. It was a shame that, you know, the season got paused when it did because him and Gusev are really starting to turn it on together. And, you know, start Bratt was coming into a league of his own. He was really starting to show the player we all think he can be. But do you think, it, Mike, it's fair to say uh, that – it's better. The Devils are going to be contenders when we can sit and say that Jesper Bratt's not playing in the top six. He's kind of adding scoring on that third line. Is that fair to say? I see. I see what you're getting at. I see what you're getting at. Um, to an ex- to an extent, I would agree. Um, at the same time, though, we got to see. You know, we got to see what uh, someone like Jesper Bratt Jesper Bratt's capable of. I think he's only 21, 22 years old. He really hasn't fully matured yet. <laughs> as a player. And, um, you know, when I look at Jesper Bratt, like I kind of think of him and, you know, let me know if you guys agree or not. I kind of think of him as a sort of like the multi-tool of the uh, devil's offense. You know, you could put him on, you could put him on any line. You could play him on the penalty kill, play him on the power play. He's great at, he's great at five on five. So he's a very diverse, you know, he's a very like versatile player, player. In my opinion, a, a player like Jesper Bratt, um, is the kind of player that you could pretty like you know he really won't have a set place in the lineup. He's the kind of guy like you know you could put him anywhere. He could bump around anywhere in the lineup if someone gets hurt. Uh, you know like if he's playing a third line role, someone gets hurt on like the second or first line, he could probably he could probably hop in hop in fill into that slot and replace them. Um, it would definitely be it would definitely be more ideal though if 
um, the Devils could, a- could ask less of him and, you know, put less pressure on him, have him focus more more on his game. And, yeah, definitely get get definitely get a little bit – get better um, offensive weapons that they you – know, above them, which would also mean, too, that, you know, the Devils will have, like, a distinct identifiable top six, which is also an essential component that contending teams need. So, um, yeah, in that regard, yes. In that regard, yes, I definitely do agree with you. Um, but, you know, as far as far as how that reflects on r- reflects on Brad, I, I don't think that should be an indication of, like, you know, where his ceiling is, where his, his ceiling we think could be as a hockey player, if that makes any sense. Yeah, Joe, I'm going to give you the floor here. I'm going to kind of let you chime in on that. I know you're a big – you're like me. You're a big Jesper Bratt fan, so um, I want to kind of get your insight on that. Do you think the Devils are – or be more suited as a playoff team if he's kind of playing on that third line, but still as a goal scorer. Or do you like, cause obviously there's players out there that they can, you know, there's, they can add to their top six along with Paul Mary on the right side. He could bump Jasper Brad down to that third line role. And then it sort of balances out the scoring throughout the lineup to give them a bit more depth, you know, even now during the season or down the stretch as they're, you know, they're building their roster. But Brat's also flexible, right? He can play left side. He can play the right side on the on the wing, so which is good, always a good option to have. Um, but, yeah, I kind of want to get your thoughts on that. So I'll let you have the floor on that one. Joe? Looks like Joe. Are you there, Joe? <laughs> Looks like Joe had to step away for a second. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna. All right. So, Joe's having some technical difficulties with his mic. I'm assuming. So I'm gonna just kind of give him a heads up. See if he's there. Um. But anyway, anyway, Mike. Um. You uh, do you follow the prospects at all, like with the mock drafts and stuff leading up to the drafts? Um, to us in the months leading up to it, uh, to a certain extent, extent I do. It's um not something I, it's not something I personally cover as thoroughly as some of my colleagues do. Um, and the you know like in the month like five six seven months out, um, it's something I'll more or less brush up on just to keep informed, know what players are potentially going to be available when, uh, you know, when my team winds up picking probably anywhere from like four to 48 weeks out is when I'll seriously start uh, studying everything. Um, one of the main reasons behind that too is just, you know, cause like the closer you are to the draft, the, you know, better, I, you know, the better idea that people who come up with these mock drafts and rankings have of these prospects and just, you know, Compared to like a couple of weeks out from the draft to like a couple of months, um, a lot could change on with prospects. You know, who stocks rise and fall, who gets hurt, who winds up, you know, breaking out, breaking out unexpectedly. Um, you know, this year is obviously, you know, this year is obviously going to be exceptionally different, just because of um, you know the number of first round first round picks the Devils have. You know, they got that seventh overall pick. I'm not too sure where the two other picks. I'm not too sure where the two other picks fall. I think they're like anywhere in like the late teens right now to the low twenties, if memory serves me correct. I know Vancouver and I know Vancouver and uh, Arizona are both are are both playing in the uh, first round right now. 
their series their series are still going on going on. But um yeah that yeah that's certainly just like you know that's certainly the approach um I take when it comes uh, yeah I take when it comes to uh, covering you know just like covering prospect prospects and whatnot going into the uh, going into the draft. Um, you know, like I, I, I do, I do understand it's supposed to be a relatively deep draft this year outside of, um, you know, the Fernier is obviously going to be the uh, cream of the crop in this year's draft. I know there's going to be like, you know, a bit of a drop off after he gets picked, but, um, from everything I've read though, with that seventh overall pick, the Devils are, you know, Devils definitely have a great opportunity to, uh, select another, um, blue chip top end prospect. Um, my biggest question is whether or not the Devils wind up using all three picks selecting prospects or if they use one or two of those later picks to, um, you know, maybe make it, maybe make a trade or two and bring in some, bring in some impactful roster players that could help, you know, speed up, speed up their rebuild. Stuff or something. Yeah, and I, I know Joe, I'm going to, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you go on this because I know, you know, you've been waiting and waiting and waiting to uh, kind of get your two cents in, but. Mike, I absolutely agree. Um, I think the de- Joe's going to expand on this a little more because Joe's Joe's like I follow the prospects a lot too. Like you know, and I get that sort of thing, you know, from my from my grandfather because he used to be a he's a actually he's a little tidbit. He's a former scout in the OHL. He was scouting in like the eighties and the nineties, so. He scouted. He scouted um, guys like you know Corey Stillman, Darian Hatcher, mm-hmm. Eric Lindros, like you know Owen Nolan, you know Brian Rolston, like all all those guys. Yeah. And um, but um, do you think Mike that um, is there a certain guy like you like at seven? Like, are you hoping the Devils go offense or are you hoping the Devils go defense? Because Joe and I have heard from a couple people that you know, we kind of keep close contact with for our information that we give the fans. Um, we've heard that the Devils' um, higher management is really high on Jake Sanderson. And, you know, I would – I've said to Joe, I would – we would both understand the move if they made it because the Devils' defensive, like, deep, like, prospect system isn't the greatest and it needs help. But at the same time – we're thinking, why not add the D at like eighteen or twenty with like you know a a Braden Schneider or a Caden Gooley or you know what I mean, and then add like a, an yeah. offensive piece at seven. But unless it's Jamie Drysdale, but I mean other than that, like we think offense. But is there is that sort of where you're leaning or? Yeah. So um, for me. For me, my my wish list. I don't really know how how realistic it is. Um, I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of content about um, that Marco Rossi kid. I think the one from Austria and uh, yeah, Drysdale would be a uh, Drysdale would be another gem. Um, you know, but from the mock drafts I've read on just like you know what I've been hearing, it sounds like neither of those two are going to be available at number seven. I mean, you know, it's always possible the Devils could wind up trading up. You know, they definitely have they definitely have the collateral to do that, but. I just think in the draft. I just think in the draft in general. I've always taken the um, regardless of what your depth situation looks like, just go just go with the best player available. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, so 
I want to elaborate on that a little bit more. So since I'm back with the mic. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> so um, you talked about how the Devils could uh, touch on a trade, you know, using any of the 18th and 19th overall picks. Um, who are some of those trade pieces you're looking forward to plucking away from a team in a $81.5 million flat cap uh, that you see? Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, actually. A couple of months ago, I actually wrote, wrote another piece about five teams the Devils could trade with right now who don't have first-round picks. Um, for me, one of, the, one of the most intriguing options is a team like the uh, Boston Bruins. Um, you know, they're pretty much up against the cap. They have, a, they, have a good amount, they have a good amount of notable RFAs that they have to uh, resign, resign this summer. And, you know, I'm sure resigning the defenseman Corey Krug is going to be really high on, the, on their priority list. And, um, you know, he, he's probably going to demand a pretty hefty raise from what he's currently making. Um, one notable RFA, the RFA they have out there right now, I mean, I mean one notable RFA on the Boston Bruins that um, is due for a new contract is someone like Jake DeBrusque. Um, you know, he's a uh, solid, solid player. I think he, I think he has a bit of an, in, a bit of an injury history, but for the most, you know, but uh, for the most part, though, he's someone I think that could fit into, uh, you know, fit on that Devils roster perfectly. Um, even if he's asking for more money than you know the Bruins are willing and able to give him, you know, with the Devils' lot of cap space, it's probably something they could accommodate. And um, he'll probably he'll probably cost no probably no more or around uh, one of their first round picks. Um, another intriguing option I considered too was the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, you know, again, that team pretty much has next to no cap space, and they have um, you know restricted restrict free agent like Mikhail Mikhail Sergachev. They got to resign. Um, you know, he's another one. He's probably he's probably going to want a uh, substantial pay raise from. What he has, um, if Tampa Bay wants to resign him, they're probably, you know, they're inevitably going to have to give up one of, the, you know, one of their many offensive weapons, you know, like uh, Yanni Gore, you know, someone like Yanni Gore, Andre Palat. Um, I don't know, I don't know how he would necessarily appeal now, but even someone like a Tyler Johnson, I'm sure they would try to dangle. So um, you have, you know, you definitely have a couple of, you definitely have a couple of options there. Um, uh, another team, another team worth mentioning too. Maybe someone like the uh, Vancouver, Vancouver Canucks. You know, they have a couple of important restricted free agents. And um, the interesting thing about Vancouver, this scenario I wrote was a little ambitious. The only reason you know I mentioned is because I have you know we've seen things just as crazy or crazier play out that you know if you brought it up people would laugh at you. But here's a scenario though. Say the Devils go with another goalie. You know, they still have Corey Schneider. You know, they're so stuck with Corey Schneider. What if as incentive, you know, since Vancouver's going to need a goalie, what if as incentive they offer Vancouver Schneider and one of those first-round picks to take them, take them off their hands? So the Devils, you know, not necessarily for cap space, you know, they wouldn't have to retain some of that situation, but, you know, they clear a roster spot so they could bring in a, you know, we'll call it a 1B-type goalie to complement Blackwood, maybe someone like a Thomas Grice or someone along those lines. So, um, you know, those are just a couple, those are just a couple of really compelling scenarios that, um, you know, I thought up given just, you know, the team's got a cap space and their buttons of first round picks if they decide to take the trade route. And you mentioned uh, the trading idea 
Schneider back to Vancouver, I think that would be an interesting move given the fact that he's done pretty well in the Pacific Northwest versus out of the Metro before he started getting worn down by John Hines. Um, I do see the Devils eating up 50% of the cap in the first year and then possibly transferring it to the Vancouver Canucks where um, the Canucks seem they will just uh, get rid of Louis Domingue because he's going to be a free agent in 2020-21. They want to get Jacob Markstrom uh, an extension. Um, For them, they're going to be more sensitive to that. So I can see Markstrom getting a pay raise to like maybe $5.6 million a year. Um, I can see Thatcher Demko possibly come back in a trade. Maybe not for that price, but I can see um, if the rumors are true about Bo Horvat, definitely got to get Bo. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't <laughs> – I don't see Vancouver getting rid of Bo Horvat. Like, you know, let's, let's – But let's, I said bo, not Bo Horvat. I meant to say uh, Brock Besser. Brock Besser. Okay, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I was screwing up on my Bs. I was going to say, if they get Bo Horvat, that first round, you know, like the whole that whole trade would, would go would be a uh, full circle again. <laughs> Schneider will go back to Vancouver. The Devils will get their uh, first round pick. They'll use to trade Schneider back technically. Yeah, I think I think Brock. Be- I think the Brock Besser one is actually a very interesting case, and I think I think it's the same thing when it comes to you know the Toronto Maple Leafs, like with their flat cap, is that team needs help on the right side of defense, and they need it bad because I mean I've watched. Living up about an hour from Toronto, like I've watched, I watched the Leafs, you know, quite, not quite a bit, but enough. Like Cody Cece wasn't cutting it on the right side for them. Hall, Justin Hall is brutal. Mark Marincin is just awful. Like that, that guy made Dion Phaneuf look like an all star. That, that is how bad he was. Um, is he, is he still playing Phaneuf? No, I don't think they're still paying them because I think they traded them away to Ottawa. But I don't, I could be wrong when they traded them to Ottawa in that trade to get rid of like his cap hit. Um, but I think, you know, like the Leafs, the Leafs are an interesting case too because, you know, everybody says, ah, oh, they'll get rid of Andreas Janssen or they'll get rid of us, Kasperi Kapanen, who I think, mm-hmm. I think you know, Andreas Janssen's good for 20 goals. So, I mean, he wouldn't be that bad. But I also think Andreas Janssen is a product of John Tavares and Austin Matthews. I don't think he's that good. I think I think Kapanen is yeah. the one that has more potential. I don't know if Kapanen's ever going to hit 25 goals, but he'll hit 20, 20, 20 goals, probably 15 to 20. And he, he's fast and he's good short. He's great shorthanded. But I think, I think if you're the Devils, you're in a position – you need skill, and I mean, Kapanen would be a good, a great acquisition. But I think you also, with three first-round picks, you have the, um, you have the draft capital to, you know, swing for the fences and try and hit a home run. Like, why not call the Leafs and put the pressure on Kyle Dubas? I know the contract is like flexible and stuff for them, but why not call about a twenty-four-year-old William Nylander? See what you can get. See what you have to give up to get him. Because I. As much as the Devils can't afford to lose a guy like Damon Severson, he's probably the one guy on the roster that brings probably the most value in a trade. And his cap hits only like four point five, I think it is, for the next like three, two or three years. So I think. Let me jump in there. Okay. Go um, ahead. Per cap friendly, uh, 
William Nylander is making $6,962,366,000 for the next several seasons through 23-24 season. So if you take a look at it, and let's say you trade one of the 18th or 19th overall picks, and maybe, let's say, Severson, and you get William Nylander, and maybe um, let's look at – and Toronto gives you a second rounder, Hey, maybe you can get a deal done that you know benefits the the Devils and the Leafs in the same way that you can give them some cap flexibility. And I'll, I'll counter with I'll counter with this: if the if the Le- if you called the Leafs and said we want William Nylander, and they said to you, "Okay, well we'll give you Will- William Nylander for the seventh overall pick," or we'll give you William Nylander for Damon Severson and the seventh overall pick, are you thinking long and hard about it and pr- probably pulling the trigger, or are you saying? I mean, it's tempting, but I got to say no. Because mm. in reality, William Nylander has honestly, like, he's proved himself in the NHL. He had, what, I think it was 31 goals this year? or mm-hmm. Let me check that. I, I believe like it that. was 30. He had 30 goals, I'm pretty sure. But he, he hits, he hits 20 to 25, and then he hit 30 either this year or last year. But he's proven himself, and he's only 24. So, but and then when you draft a guy, you're taking a 50 50 chance as opposed to a guy that's proved himself. So, I mean, it's temp. Would it not be tempting to pull the trigger on that? It, it is a little tempting. Here, here's the reason why. So, his first season with the Leafs, he only played uh, 22 games and he scored six goals and seven assists, which 13 out of 22 points out of games is actually pretty good. Um, you look at his first full season, he played 81 out of 82 games. With the Leafs, he got 39 assists in 81 games, and he got 61 points. That's actually pretty solid if you think about it. That's almost – that's like – how do I put it? Less than 20 points more to be a goal per game. Um, then he did almost a similar in 17-18, and then 18-19, um, he played in his that, holdout year. That was the year he had to late start, right? Yeah. And in his whole in his holdout year, and he came back and played fifty four games, he basically halved what he produced twenty seven points out of fifty four, so that's twenty assists, seven goals, and then the Leafs this year in the COVID nineteen shortened season, fifty nine points in sixty eight games. You know what? I like the goal. I like the points to games ratio he's played in. I think it's doable for a seventh, but. Um, I think it's it, it it outweighs the risks because of the contract. See, I wouldn't the uh, Severson for the Severson for one of the two later later first round picks. That's something something I, something I would consider. Maybe Nylander for the seventh overall pick straight up. I don't know if I would do a top ten pick and and a top four defenseman uh, for Nylander. Um, I kind of think too, it also begs the question, uh, you know, he's only, you know, you know, he's still in his early to mid twenties. Um, has Nylander actually reached the ceiling? You know, is he capable of, you know, is he capable of playing and, and, uh, producing more, you know, because let's be real. If you're not Austin Matthews, John Tavares or, uh, Mitch Marner, any forward, any forward on that team is playing, is playing in their shade, in their shadow. And, um, you know, 
right now, I really think that the Toronto Maple Leafs organization, and especially the fan base too, you know, I have, I have a couple of, I have a couple of good friends who are Leafs fans. Um, they're really, really frustrated. They're really fed up now. You know, this is a, an original six, fran- you know, this is an original six franchise, you know, pretty much the equivalent of like the, you know, either them, them and the Montreal Canadiens are you know, pretty much the equivalent of the New York Yankees of baseball, but not only have you know, not only haven't they haven't they won a couple in fifty years. This is a team that hasn't won a playoff series since two thousand four. Back then, you know, uh, Brian Leach, Owen Nolan, Brian Leach, Owen Owen Nolan, Matt, Matt Sundin were still on the team. That's how far back it's been since this team's won a playoff series. So, you know, the the fan, you know, the fans are very frustrated. Very frustrated since Toronto draft. You know, like since this Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner era has been ushered in. Yeah, Toronto's been to the playoffs a bunch of times. They've yet to win. They've yet to win a uh, playoff series, and, and I really and, think the problem and changes will have. To, and cha- sorry, Mike, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I, I, and changes are going to have to be made. I, you can't, yeah. you can't make the playoffs and be in Stanley Cup contenders, and then miss the make, you know, get beat out in the first round every year, and then also turn around and miss the playoffs. There. They're, they miss that physicality factor where they get boss around too much. And it's kind of like the halves of yesteryear, if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you, really yeah. think, if you guys really think about it, though, like, and I mean, they would be the team I would call, one of the teams i call. And I'd even try and get Mitch Marner because he, he has such a big cap hit and it would give the Leafs so much flexibility if they wanted to add a defenseman or, or whatnot. And you know, they might not, they might, they can't even eat any salary off it. You know, the Devils are one of the few teams that could afford his big cap. But yeah, it might cap strap you, you know, down the line. And, you know, more teams think about that. But I think, uh, I think that he's, Marner's the type of player you acquire and then you figure out the rest later. Cause he had, he's such a dynamic player. Like he's a 90 to 100 point player. He had 94 points there a couple of years ago with the first year uh, John Tavares came there. But, yeah, like those. I think he's another guy you could call on. But what Joe was saying about the physicality with the that the Leafs lack, which is why they got pushed around. As stupid of penalties as he ha- he you know got into when he was with the Leafs, the worst thing the Leafs did was trade Nazem Kadri for Tyson Perry. Like they missed Nazem Kadri in that playoff series and all season. They got shoved around like you wouldn't believe. But anyway, but. One of the teams that I think, you know, that they could call too would be, um, you know, this. I don't know what Chicago's cap hit is like, but um, I'll double check that. <laughs> I um, Chicago's. I that, go ahead. Chicago's is one hundred seventy-five thousand five hundred fifty-eight final cap space. So they don't have much cap space, and they have one point two million. $267,000 long-term injury reserve used. What's their projected cap space, does it say? Uh, all right, so it's their final so-called cap hit is 82.524710,000. So right there, their relief that they're looking for what they call in the salary pool is 15325000 per cap friendly. Okay, so they could be a team that you could call to – um, but Winnipeg is the one I want. I'm curious about Mike, because uh, 
They got a couple studs up front that I think would be excellent acquisitions. Uh, Nikolai Ehlers, I think, is a very underrated player for his skill set that he brings. I think he would be an excellent addition to playing with uh, Nico Heischer or Jack Hughes. But, you know, Joe and I have discussed this, and, you know, a lot of people think he's overrated. All he's got is his shot. But I don't – I think – I stand by it. I think Patrick Liney has wore his welcome out in Winnipeg. I think he's played his last game as a Jet. I think he gets traded in the offseason, especially with the flat cap, because they got to sign Ehlers. They got to sign Hellebuck. They got to sign Roskovitz coming up. They've got guys they got to sign. And I just think that Liney's wore out his, you know, welcome there. He, you know, he makes smart comments in the media. You know, he only shows up when he wants to playing, but I think he'd be the, he's the type of sniper you're looking for. And you know what? I think you take that chance with him because he's a superstar. I think you have to call him about him. I would jump on that. You know, I get, I, I definitely, I definitely understand, understand what you guys are saying about Liney, uh, Liney, you know, like no question in my mind in the right situation, he, he could definitely be a 50 goal scorer. But, um, you know, regarding the remarks you said about his personality, you know, his, Issues with consistency. Um, I even I even heard a couple of times that you know he was you know he was a little problematic in the locker room. Um, you know you kind of got to ask yourself and like you know I I said I said the uh, I said the uh, same thing when you know people started speculating about um, you know what would it look like if the Devils potential went for someone like Jack Eichel. Is that is that really someone you want in this in this um, young developing? locker room is that someone you really want to influence your young players you know who are supposed to be the uh the long-term fixtures of this team moving forward um i could definitely see winnipeg trying to deal liney line a but um however you say that line a, yes but um yeah when you look at when you look at the team's defense and just like the losses they suffered on the back end over the last year, my guess is that in exchange for Line A, they're probably going to want some quality NHL, you know, some quality established defenseman that could come in and make an immediate impact on their roster now. And like, and you know, when you look at how you know when you look at how uh, bare the Devils are, you know, the Devils are in that cupboard with its prospects or just you know guys on their team that they could play. That you know they could have trade without it, you know it leaving you know another hole in the roster despite filling one. I, I'm not sure, at least from Winnipeg's standpoint, that New Jersey would be an would be a um, compatible trade partner. Well, one of the things that I think about when I think of a current player in this year's uh, NHL draft who e- who's eerily similar, if not a little bit more skilled, is Alexander Holtz, and to me, he's that right wing. Uh, sniper with he he's got a little bit more smooth skating than I've seen with Line A, but if I was willing to trade the seventh overall pick for someone, for someone who's already proven but needs a bit of a change, and if you're being bold, I can see Line A in there, and maybe you can ask Winnipeg to uh, throw in a defenseman kind of like Dylan DeMello or maybe uh, Sami Niku, something like that, you know, trying to, trying to get the best out of them, you know, with a younger player uh, to come to New Jersey. Uh, usually New Jersey is looking for anyone that's under 27 years old. And Dylan DeMello's uh, under $1 million. 
not saying that the Devils need to be cheap, but I read and I've seen that the Devils are looking for guys who have really good uh, analytics and really good uh, eye test uh, background. It seems like their scouts are high on certain players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sorry, Joe. I got uh, I apologize. I got I got distracted. The uh, the wife <laughs> came the wife came to the window, and the little one was just kind of staring at the window at me. So. I was kind of, I was kind of making faces at her just to see if she'd give me a giggle. Sorry, I apologize. Do you want to just, do you want to just kind of quickly um, recap what you just mentioned? How- so I, I was wondering um, what it would take to get a, both a defenseman and someone like a, let's say, a Sami Niku or a Neil Pionk along with a Patrick Laine. Uh, in a trade to come to New Jersey if the Devils had to trade one of their third-round picks? And what would you do in that situation? It, what, to get all of them or just to get one of them? To get all of them. Oh, geez. I, I think you're looking at giving up a – you're looking at giving up probably the seventh overall pick. You're probably looking at giving up a Ty Smith. You're probably looking up at giving, you know, even more prospects up for picks. I just don't think – I don't think getting all of them is maybe worth it. Probably for the Devils right now, I would say if they were contenders, I would say, you know, consider it. Like if I'm a Stanley Cup contender, you know, and I'm going for it and my window's open, then I would say, yeah, you know, consider trading the first. I'd always be open to trading my first round pick because I'm going trying to win the Stanley Cup right now. I don't necessarily agree with Stanley Cup contenders trading their first round picks to get guys because, you know, that's how it sort of bites you in the ass. As you guys know, Lou Lamorello left this uh, prospect covered in the system pretty bone dry uh, when he left. So Shiro had to start from fresh. But, you know, Shiro also – Shiro tried to – he rebuild it and he did well with the drafting. But he also tried to speed up the rebuild instead of sort of taking its time and – whatnot and doing it properly he added veterans that maybe shouldn't have been added like jack hughes they probably thought was going to excel the rebuild into really high gear and then it was over and then he went and he got you know suban and whatnot and that's nothing against pk but you know maybe Trubo would have been the better option but obviously that doesn't look like it's working out too well yeah. for the rangers with that contract but you know what I'm. You know what I'm trying to say. Like I think the um, line A is probably the best option for them because they need goal scoring. So would you trade the seventh or the eighteenth overall? Uh, if I'm making the offer first, or if Winnipeg's calling me. If Winnipeg is calling you, what are you offering? I would off. I honestly, I would offer the seventh pick because I know that's going to get that. I know that right there is going to get the conversation started. And I know Winnipeg's going to probably think long and hard about it because they also have the 10th overall selection and that would give them two top 10 picks. So I think that's going to make Winnipeg and Kevin Day off their general manager think long and hard. Like, Hmm, we're a young team. We still have Mark Shifley and whatnot. And I can, uh, and Blake Wheeler and Ehlers and whatnot. I can add another talent, young talent to this team that 
whose attitude and, you know, might be more consistent than Patrick, maybe not as great as Patrick Liney, but there'll be, a, you know, a nice young addition to the team moving forward. And then I don't have to worry about, you know, his consistency and all this sort of stuff. But I think, you know, some guys just need to change the scenery. So maybe Patrick Liney just needs to change the scenery. Maybe, I mean, there's not a lot out in Winnipeg. So, I mean, I could see why he would get pretty bored. And I could see him working well in New Jersey. New a lot of Nordic players, especially Finnish players like Arne Talvitia and Etu Pakila, who's over in Finland trying to develop in their Finnish uh, junior league and trying to work up to the Finnish Liga, which is the high league. And they also and, have Yanni Kokkonen in the system as well, right? So Yes, and that's correct. And the Devils have done their job with Finnish players. And I think, Mike, you can touch on this as well. Um, do, do you see... Uh, the Devils getting anyone else other than Line if they were to acquire uh, outside of that move? Yeah, like Mike, do you think if Calgary uh, if Calgary loses their series to Dallas because the other night it looked like they were about to take a stranglehold on that yeah. series, yeah. and then Dallas stormed back? Do you think if Calgary doesn't make a run here in the playoffs that because they got a big decision to make because they got. I don't think Calgary's got a lot of cap space because Giordano's got a massive contract and, you know, they got Monaghan and, like, Matthew Kachuk's an RFA coming up and Johnny Goudreau is a free agent coming up. Like, they got a decision to make and they're probably going to have to pick one of them. And I'm pretty sure they're probably going to pick Matthew Kachuk over Johnny Goudreau. Just my my um, thoughts, but, I mean, you never know, right? Like, one of them, they're going yeah. to have to move somebody sooner or later. But Joe and I have kind of touched on Goudreau, same as Line. Both would be excellent additions to the team. But even though Johnny Goudreau is from New Jersey, do you take the chance and trade for Johnny Goudreau, knowing that he was a Flyers fan growing up and they're probably going to want to sign him when he hits free agency and he would probably go to Philly or do you think he has a great chance of sticking around in New Jersey, even if they acquired him because he's a, he's a, he's playing at home? Well, the thing with uh, well, well, Kyle Palmieri, Kyle Palmieri grew up grew up a Rangers fan. I think when uh, he, when he was a kid, I think I remember he mentioned that. And um, you know, you know, it seems like it's working out really. It seems like it's working out really well for him, really well for him in New Jersey. So um, I re- I personally don't think that. Um, I mean, yeah, like you know, you have you know, you have your said said instances, you know, like Chris Drury when he went to the Ranger when he went to the Rangers, for example, Kevin Shattenkirk when he went to the Rangers, for example, um, maybe it's just one team that has all those instances. But um well, you know, John Tavares when he went to the uh Leafs, there you go. Uh, but um I'm not I'm not really uh, I wouldn't really say something like that factors as much into the um you know, into a um t- into players Figuring, especially you know, if it's a team that acquires them, the way I look at it is, I um, mean, you, you know, when the Devils trade, when the Devils traded Taylor Hall, he was supposed to be like the guy that the organization was going to build around, you know, and like he, you know, he was pretty much poised to become the face of the franchise, you know, the team's next captain and whatnot. So you know, they took, you know, the, this rebuild took like a huge step back when they wound up trading him. My question is, you, you know, the thing I'm wondering is. If they're looking to, you know, get like they're if they're looking to get like you know, 
their guy, like that next stat, you know, that next established scoring forward that the offense could, you know, revolve around while, you know, you know, while those guys like Nico and Jack Hughes continue to develop. When you look at the consequences of Taylor Hall not working out, you know, give them a step back, the steps back that this team took. Can they really, um, you know, if they try this again, I think it's something, you know, this time around, they can't afford, they can't afford at all to mess up. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. And I'll even, I'll even add in on that, Mike. When is the last time that the Devils have brought in a superstar player that they've actually stayed through the duration of that contract or they've re-signed with the club and stayed a long period of time. I don't consider Kovalchuk staying a long period of time because I even thought he would play out, you know, eight, eight, seven or eight years of that contract and then he would kind of go back to Russia. I didn't think it was going to happen three years into the deal, but, you know, that, that's a topic for a different day. I think, yeah. you know, I, I would love to do an episode and just rant about that guy. I'd like to bring on a couple Devils fans and just let everybody rant about that guy because I'm sure we could come up with a fascinating episode about him. But when is the last time the Devils had a superstar get acquired and they've actually stayed? Um, to my to my recent memory, honestly, I can't even I can't even think of one. Exactly. You know, Bingo. The last yeah, the last player um they're only to my memory high profile free agent that reach free agency that, that they managed to resign was Patrick Elias in 2006. Yep. Um, you know, and that's, yeah, that's a really huge concern, you know, like aside from, aside from that, Lamorella's track record at retaining top end talent that reaches a free agency market has been horrendous. Um, you know, but like if you, and you know, when Ray Shero, when Ray Shero first came in, that was actually one of the first things that I got really, really excited about him coming in it's just you know he had such a he has such a phenomenal track record of retaining his team you know retaining his team's foundational players long term you know these guys like Malkin Crosby Latang, Marc-Andre Fleury those guys didn't even get a sniff of um free agency throughout their careers because of Cher's ability you know because of you know Cher's ability to uh lock them up long lock them up long term and you know and just like establish that long-term core like you know you know the way you know even though he didn't really draft any any of these guys just the way he managed Pittsburgh's young up-and-comers when he came at the helm that's really how he was supposed to do it and you know look how they wound up making out they got three Stanley Cups and four Stanley Cup Finals appearances out of it I think they've you know they've made the playoffs every year since uh 2007 and you know simply put you don't do that without retaining your top talent, you know, um, the devils are very fortunate because, you know, they always had Brodor picking up, you know, the oodles and oodles of extra slack that the rest of their roster shortcomings shortcomings had. But, um, you know, you know, these last like eight, nine years, it's these last eight, eight, nine years, like, you know, it's kind of showed us how much we've, you know, as devils fans, how much we've, uh, taken that for granted. Yeah, we always get excited when a guy comes in because we think, oh, okay, like Taylor Hall come in. He had, what, I think it was three years left on his contract. And then we we're like, all right, well, we'll deal with it in three years. You know, let's just sit back and watch and watch the fun and what he brings to the game. And and it was like, okay, the Devils have a superstar left winger. But 
at the same time, looking at it, you know, he has injury problems. He never stays healthy. So, I mean, it was smart to trade him. But at the same time, it's like, was it at the same time? Because you can just you sit and wonder, you know, he had that chemistry with Nico, which was very well. And he was doing very – Jack Hughes was playing well alongside him. But, um, you know, they, they got decisions to make. And, you know, they're going to – they're going to be have to be busy again this offseason because I think they only have like 11 players signed. And I think in my opinion, that was the big one, one of, if not the biggest attributing factor to, to Taylor Hall's depart to Taylor Hall's um, departure in, in New Jersey. Why things just, you know, took a nosedive after that 2017 to 2018 season. The team, you know, looked like they were on the cusp of emerging from their rebuild after making the playoffs in 2018. Taylor Hall's on fire. And Ray Shero did didn't do a nope. thing that offseason. And I really think um, that factored into Taylor Hall's decision making process. I you know, um, I think the move Shero did make, again, if I were to mention what I'm about to say at the time, it probably would have been met with, you know, vicious, nasty, rabid opposition from the Devils fan base. I mean, you know, we're we're all on Twitter. We're all on Twitter, you know. Yeah. We see how just how, you know, um, I'm trying to think of, like, you know, a light way to put it, just how crazed and rabid, you know, some of these Devils fans get. But, you know, like the P.K. Subban move, for example, I've, you know, quietly, you know, I've quietly been suggesting I really think that move was kind of like a knee-jerk reaction move. Like, you know, Shero's, you know, Shero's um, emergency move after uh, Jacob Truba, Truba didn't work out. And, you know... A lot of Devils fans I know they get really they get really mad when I bring this up, but I think one of the evident realities is if the devil if the Devils are going to want to you know make significant improvements, I don't think doing it via free agency is an option simply because top players don't want to play here. Yeah, I mean, you know? we, we have um, to overpay right to bring guys in, so um, I. I think, um, yeah, like I think, like the only couple guys I think I would consider as a free agent, like you know, like I mean, I I wouldn't complain if they went and they signed a Petrangelo or a Krug, but I think Tori Krug would be more likely than Petrangelo, and you know, but you know, a defenseman I'd like to see them bring in would be like a Joel Edmondson from Carolina. I've watched him throughout the playoffs. I think you know he can move the puck. He's a big guy back there. You know, Marty Bordeaux's familiar with him when he played the you know, seven games in St. Louis, which kind of bummered me out a bit, but he's familiar <laughs> with them. Um, and he can move the puck, and he's physical. He, he is a tank in front of that net clearing guys out and yeah. in the corners. And that's something the Devils lack on defense. And I think another couple guys you can consider signing as forwards would be like an Evgeny Dadanoff or, you know, a Toffoli if you can get him on like a three- or four-year deal or Mike Hoffman three years, some four years, something like that. Like those guys that can score goals that they're still performing. But yeah, free agency is sometimes a recipe for disaster. Um, but, you know, um, trades is probably the most likely way they're going to go. Um, you know, before we wrap this up, Mike, uh, do you got a, uh, do you got a bold prediction? Do you... Before I ask you about your bold prediction for a trade, um, do you yes or no? The Devils will pull off a huge blockbuster trade this off season. 
I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes. Yes. And, um, the prospect of them doing that really excites me because one of the reasons, one of the big reasons that, um, Tom Fitzgerald grew on to me were the returns he got for Andy Green. He got, I think like a, a, a second, third round pick or something like that. I thought the, I, I thought he absolutely swindled Tampa Bay in that trade, you know, um, Tampa definitely overpaid for Blake Coleman, who, to my knowledge, hasn't even scored a goal for them since being acquired. And I thought he made out. I thought he made out really well with you know what he was able to get for uh, Sammy Vatnin. You know, I think that Kokinen, you know, Kokinen kid or Yanni Kokinen, yes. yeah, Yanni Kokinen. You know, if you know if you want to develop him accordingly, we could probably see him up on the team sooner or later. So I definitely think I definitely think they will. Um, my my bold my bold prediction from my experience it seems like anytime a team pulls off a big trade like that unless like that unless it's like you know like hockey's worst kept secret it's always with the team and player that no one even that no one even thinks about no one's even thinking about or like talks about you know yeah, like, um, a couple like of years. sort of like when Panarin got traded from Chicago to Columbus, nobody saw it coming. Yeah, precisely. Or you know, like even when even when the Devils got Taylor Hall for Taylor Hall for Adam Adam uh, Larson. Yeah, you know? yes. No one saw that. So, but you know, to add a little bit of to add a little bit of realism to the mix, um, I could definitely see them. I think if they do make a trade, it will involve one of their first round picks. It will involve one of these caps cap strapped teams. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they finally pull off that highly anticipated deal with like the Maple Leafs or the Lightning or um, you know, not to shoot my own horn, I still really like the idea of my you know, the the scenario, uh, the scenario that I'd I'd written about with a team like Boston, you know, maybe they're able to to get like a Jake DeBrus score, maybe a better situation, you know, maybe they get someone like a Brendan Carlo or a Charlie McAvoy to help them on the back end. So, if and when they do pull off a, um, you know, big trade like that, I think it'll probably be something along those lines. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely possible. And I, I think it's going to, it probably will happen because they have the ammunition to get it done. Right. So, I mean, you know, um, before we go, um, Joe, is there anything you want to quickly add? I mean, you've had some mic issues here tonight. Usually, we all, we always try and get everybody involved, but you know, you've been kind of fighting the mic a little bit. So, is there anything you want to say before we go? All right. So, there's going to be a couple of uh, articles on the Puck Authority. We're going to have the uh, Eleven Thoughts uh, article. It was updated from uh, last Sunday, and the site was being re-updated. So you're going to see that. And then you're going to see uh, some of my other uh, predictions and thoughts in uh, another article. Uh, so there's going to be two upcoming things as well. But um, I'm going to definitely talk about more of a how the Devils could use each of the three picks and what they can do with those and draft certain players and why I believe those players have the devil's logo written all over them. So I can elaborate more on that. Meanwhile, the mic wanted to silence me and, you know, just wasn't happy about that. <laughs> um, come on, anchor. You can do better than that. <laughs> and, uh, and Mike, uh, for anybody, uh, everybody listening, you know, 
for our viewers and listeners around the world, um, um, is there anything you want to add in? Do you have any articles coming up that, you know, Joe and I and the fans can be on the lookout for? Um, well, the next one, the next one I'm working on is actually more of like a um, history piece. Um, you know, Devils have had their fair share of like uh, crazy fights, crazy brawls. Um, one particular instance happened during that I'm going to write about happened during the 1988 playoffs against the Washington Capitals. Um, did you know that John McClain literally knocked out a goalie with his uh, slap? No, I did not. That sounds new. Yeah, so um, 1988 playoffs, John McClain took a sla- uh, came to his own, took a slap shot. It hit um, Washington's goalie at the time, Pete Peters, right in the face. Knocked him out. He was out cold. So I think after that, it was either Bruce Driver, it was Driver, maybe McClain. After he was out, um, they took another shot at the net. And that just prompted this major scrum. So I forget the extent, but guess who one of the other players on the Washington Capitals, the other team? Scotty Stevens. Scotty Stevens. So I I just think, you know, between that that element, um, you know, the circumstances that unfolded it, um, this particular fight, this particular, you know, like when people think of memorable Devils brawls, they think of like, you know, you know the uh, 2012, the line brawl, the game three brawl with Mike Rupp and Brodeur, you know, when the coaches started screaming at, at, at each other. They think of fights like that. I'm really surprised that this particular instance um, isn't talked about, isn't talked about near, nearly as much among, you know, the young Devils, Devils uh, community. You know, when I saw, when, when I saw the video, when I saw the video, I saw that goalie get knocked out. I was like, you know, whoa. That doesn't happen every day. So, um, yeah. The, so, yeah. The next piece I'm going to write about is pretty much pretty much just going to um, pretty much just going to cover that. Just talk about the uh, unique uniqueness, the players involved. How you know Scott Stevens, who ironically, you know, it's ironic he was involved. He wanted becoming our next captain. Guys, the three cups, four finals appearances. So, um, that's a particular one I'm definitely looking forward to uh, coming out. I'm hoping to do it. Uh, I'm ho- hoping to hoping to have it come out before before the end of the week. So. Um, I'll definitely keep you guys posted on that. Yeah, and we'll keep our eye out for that. Um, Mike, uh, how long have you been a Devils fan? Oh, goodness. Since uh, I'm 30 now, probably about 25, 26 years. So that would be – so you started being a fan in about maybe 92, 93, 94-ish? Yeah, sounds about okay, right. Okay, so you're like – so I'm 27. So, like, I – as I sort of got, you know, as it – became like you know once it got to like you know 2001 2002 is sort of 2002 is when i started you know really starting to follow the devils and stuff 2001 ish so like i we you and i we got to uh we got to experience the uh scott stevens and scott niedermeyer and ken danico and brian rafalski days there for a for a little bit so we you know we we've uh we've witnessed those glory days so you know, and Joe's a bit older, I think, than both of us. So, but he, um, I don't know if he was a Devils fan then or not. But. Well, back then, I was living in what was the Hartford Whalers country. So, um, when I that's, would be able to watch, back. yeah. So, I'm just trying to throw that out there. So, like, when I would watch ESPN, you know, you would have hockey on that channel. And so, in New England, you basically got the Whalers in the Western Mass, so that was like the demographic. And then you had the Bruins feed, 
And so when the Dells were on ESPN for the Stanley Cup, I was able to watch those, but, you know, not your normal regular season games. It's New England's pretty restrictive still to this day when it comes to uh, the New England sports network. So back when I left, you know, for New Jersey in 2005 from Western Mass, my mom's a Jersey girl. I became, you know, more into New Jersey sports, especially Rutgers. And, you know, father went to RU and my uncle's season ticket holder for RU football. And I got my love for doubles hockey because of my mom was actually uh, pregnant for me in the 88, 89 season. I was born in 89. So um, I just always been born with the Jersey roots and I just been, you know, a fan since 2005, but technically by bloodline it's maternally since 1664, since it was new Netherlands. So technically <laughs> my, my roots to New Jersey go back then. Okay. So, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I've been a fan since oh two. so, you know, got, coming up on close to 20 years. So, I mean, my, you know, when I've, I've been lucky enough. I mean, my dream was to, you know, go to New Jersey and watch a game there. I've been lucky enough to go there to watch four games. And, you know, they've yet to win at Prudential Center when I've gone. I think they were winning 3-1. They were, I was at the game, the home opener against San Jose the one year, and Palmieri got a, that breakaway in overtime, and he missed the net by about six feet. I think he shot it wide, and then they lost in a shootout. And then, you know, I had the Sharks players giving me the middle finger on the bus as they were driving by, and I was flipping them off. And Because I, I thought, you know what, <laughs> screw you. I'm not from here. I don't care. But yeah. And then, um, you know, the second time was uh, against the Rangers. The Devils were winning 3-1 at home with about eight minutes to go. They lost that game 4-3 in overtime. Um, first time I went there, um, you know, I met uh, – Camilleri and you know all that and I think I don't know if it was the first or the second time I went I think it was the first first time yeah I remember first time I I met went I met like I met Kenny Danico which was I mean a lot of Devils fans have but that was cool for me because that was sort of my era in the like the late you know early 2000s stuff but I, I waited outside for, um, with my friends till about one in the morning because we knew that Yager stayed in the arena and he had a key to the arena and then the security guy said no nah, he's gone home and then the other guy's like no he's still here and then he come out and you know he signed my Yager t-shirt so you know to say I got to meet him was pretty cool and you know Mississauga is not far from me so I went up to Mississauga a couple years ago I met Taylor Hall and you know, I was a goalie my whole life, so Marty Brodeur was my hero, and I actually went to meet him. I met him last year or the year before, and, you know, my, my autograph that was, you know, dedicated to me on my jersey, it's smeared, but I have a picture with him on my fridge, so, I mean, that's a pretty cool moment for me. But, yeah, I, meeting Marty was probably one of the coolest things for me, and he was a pretty down-to-earth guy, so that even made it better, but, you know, there's – it's the little things that kind of count that help you stay a fan of an organization, even through the tough times that we're going through, you know, right now in the world and right now with them as a hockey team, as they, you know, look to improve and become better. But anyway, um, 
Joe and I just want to say thanks, Mike, for, you know, joining us for the podcast tonight. You know, he did an excellent job. Um, if it wasn't so late, we would say, you know, keep going. Cause I mean, you were, ro- you've been rolling on this thing. So yeah. we're going to say keep going, but we're going to get you on here again soon for another episode when you're free. I think, you know, we've, I think you've earned that you've, with everything you dissected and whatnot, you definitely know your stuff. And, you know, we're a big, uh, anybody listening, um, Mike uh, works for Pucks and Pitchforks, excellent writer, puts out fantastic articles. So anybody interested, kind of go on to Pucks and Pitchforks website and give uh, Mike uh, Lucci's articles a look and, um, you know, read them. You won't be disappointed. He does excellent work for them. Um, one of my favorite writers on the website. So, um, you know, Mike, uh, thanks for coming on with us tonight. And, you know, we look forward to talking with you soon, buddy. So, you know, Joe and I always like to say on the show before we go, we get everybody to do a nice devil's chance. So without, you know, further ado for the latest episode of Raising Hell in Jersey. Until next time. Let's, Let's go, go, go Devils. Devils. <laughs> wow.